This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Pauls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Professor Sir John Curtis, political scientist, currently Professor of Politics at the University of Strathclyde, Senior Research Fellow at Natsen for Social Research and also UK in a Changing Europe. Now, it's the morning after the night before in terms of fixed penalty notices being dished out to not just Boris Johnson, his wife Carrie Johnson, but also the chances of Rishi Sunak. And Isabel, is it fair to say these have had a fairly soft landing? Yes, so, so far we've only had one Conservative MP calling for Boris Johnson to quit, and that's Nigel Mills, who has been in the sort of awkward squad for a little while. But largely, actually, the the reaction of Conservative MPs has been... They're quite upset privately by this, but they don't think that now is going to be the time that Boris Johnson gets removed. Some of the more loyal ones are saying, you know, there's a, there's a war in Ukraine. Others are just saying that there's, there's not the groundswell of feeling in the parliamentary party at the moment to move against him. Conversations I've had with, with MPs suggest that some of them still think that there's a possibility that this might change in the coming months. For instance, if the Prime Minister receives more fines for other events, because the Metropolitan Police are still investigating a lot of alleged parties that took place in Downing Street during lockdowns. And to a certain extent, the fine that was announced yesterday related to a party that they could slightly dissemble over. So we've ended up in this debate about whether it was sort of nine minutes, whether the the cake left the Tupperware and breathed the cabinet office air for long enough, whether, you know, he to return to that famous phrase, he was ambushed by cake. He claimed, the Prime Minister, in his statement that he gave yesterday evening, that he sincerely believed that no rules were being broken, which is still quite laughable, I have to say. But it, this is a a party that clearly the police didn't think was particularly confusing, but it, it isn't as clear-cut as perhaps cheese and nibbles and drinks in the Downing Street Garden, which is one of the events that is still being investigated. So there might be fines coming up, what we don't know, that are harder to to defend in the way that, that some people have, have chosen to. So it hasn't landed with the anger that it might have done a few months ago. But let's not forget that one of the things that aggravated the row over Partygate a few months ago was actually the way Boris Johnson responded to it in the chamber. So when Sue Gray's report initially landed, her interim report, it was sort of, people were reading it thinking, well, this is, you know, this is probably, this is quite serious for the Prime Minister, but it could be a lot worse. And then Boris Johnson turned up in the chamber and produced his Jimmy Savile slur against Sir Keir Starmer. And then everything went whoosh, including the resignation of his policy chief, Manira Mirza. So... I'm not sure that it's, you know, oh, everything's going to be fine from now on. I think we're really at a a sort of staging post. Boris Johnson is not out of the woods yet. On that, John, I I wondered, one of the things Isabel touched on is the sense that 
MPs, there are some MPs who come up very loudly to say they back the Prime Minister. The loudest people tend to be those who have the strongest opinion either way. But one of the key factors here is clearly going to be how the public respond, MPs and their constituencies, what they're saying. So do we have a sense of whether members of the public share the sense in the parliamentary party that Partygate has ultimately lost some of its sting and issues like Ukraine have put things into perspective? I think the answer to that is that to a degree, and probably more particularly so amongst those who voted Conservative in 2019, but we should still bear in mind that a very large number of voters still think that the Prime Minister should go. Right? We had three polls out, instant polls out yesterday, and we should remember there are instant polls and the mature, refle- the more mature reflection of voters is what will matter in the end. But between them, they put the percentage of all voters saying that Mr Johnson should go at between 57% and 61%. Now, on the one hand, that is less than the kinds of numbers that the same pollsters were getting in December and in January when Partygate was as high when they were all of them getting at least 60% and some of them were getting you know, two, two-thirds and sometimes even more. So it does seem to be down on that. However, it is up on what polls were getting when they were asking before yesterday, but in the last fortnight or so, as to whether or not the prime minister should resign or if he were to get a fine, should he resign? Those polls were averaging at about 52%. So I think one probably has to say that amongst voters as a whole, There was something of an adverse reaction immediately to yesterday's uh, fine, but it didn't uh, trigger quite as strong a reaction as the original row. Now, most conservative voters, if we do the same analysis, back in January, we were getting about two-fifths of them saying that Mr Johnson should go, and one or two polls had slightly more saying he should go than saying he should stay. Yesterday's polls... Two of them said only 25% of Conservative voters think he should go, which, if anything, was less than the position in polls before yesterday, though one did put it rather high at around 39%, but that's a company that's always put it relatively high. So I think, you know, as compared with the real anger of January, yes, it's not as strong, but don't think that as a result... The Prime Minister is out of the woods so far as the public is concerned. And I think what one also has to bear in mind in this, you know, at the end of the day, what really matters to Conservative MPs is what's the impact of all of this on their election prospects in two years' time. Now, despite the fact that the anger may have dissipated to some degree amongst the public, we are, as we speak, to take the polls over the last fortnight or so, post-spring statement, post the original announcement that there'd been 20 party gate fines, we're not talking about a six-point Labour lead. Not quite as bad as it was in January when it was around eight points or so for a while. But remember that at the back end of October, it was a four-point Conservative lead, i.e. until the Owen Patterson affair first put the issue of the ethics and the probity of the Prime Minister into the public spotlight. So although the anger may have gone, it may still be the case that those many of those voters who were dissuaded from continuing to support the Conservatives in the wake of the events of the Owen Partisan Affair and Partygate, that most of those have still stayed away from the Conservatives 
that maybe in the end, at the end of the day, we shouldn't necessarily be simply looking at the immediate emotional reaction, but the longer term impact of all of this on the Conservatives' fortunes. In terms of short-term impacts or immediate impacts, one of the key things in all this is what Rishi Sunak was going to do. And around 8pm last night, we finally got a statement from the Chancellor where he apologised for his fine and made clear that he plans to stay in his role. Now, I don't think it takes Sherlock Holmes to work out that there was a reason behind the delay. And ultimately, he was considering whether or not he should resign over a fine. I think that had he done so, it clearly would have increased pressure on Boris Johnson. It may have won Rishi Sunak some plaudits, but it could also have been accused of a Tory regicide. So how do you think that helps Boris Johnson? Do you think Rishi Sunak is boosting Boris Johnson? By not resigning, yes. I mean, I think, you know, the, 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 the most immediate political fallout from yesterday is that it put the final nail in the coffin of Rishi Sunak's chances of becoming prime minister in the immediate future. And because it also therefore makes the, uh, the likely succession for the conservative leadership, should Boris Johnson no longer be a leader, uh, much less certain. And that probably helps to stay the hand of some Conservative uh, MPs. I think, conversely, some of the speculation that was going around yesterday, including I think involving at least one, if not both, of yourselves, that you know, what what if Rishi Sunak were to resign? Yes, I think undoubtedly would have made Boris Johnson's position more difficult. Of course, what we also have to bear in mind, and despite you know, there there are two obvious reasons as to why the public may not react so strongly. One is we should remember that back in December and January we were talking about. Omicron wave, and what was going to be the impact of that, the return of some uh, further restrictions, uh, us being told to be very, very careful. Now, although the prevalence of COVID has has been as high as it's been in in, in recent months, because the public are no longer being told that this is a disease that's likely to cause large numbers of death, there isn't, we're no longer talking about this issue being raised at a time when the public are still being told to be extremely careful and limit their social gatherings and all the rest of it. That's why Ukraine is the other, but there's the other just very basic reason. We are in the middle of a local election campaign. So even if Conservative MPs were minded to say that Mr Johnson should go, and they may be concerned about what's going to happen in the local ballot boxes, uh, this clearly was not the moment for any party to defenestrate their leader. And again, doubtless, uh, further calculations we made, partly as Isabel said, depending on what, what happens further on this issue, but also when the pressure of the immediate ballot box is no longer hanging over Tory MPs. Now, Isabel, just finally, I wondered, A, your thoughts on Rishi Sunak, but two, what do you make of some of the defences we're hearing from Tory MPs for Boris Johnson right now? Because I've personally found it quite interesting how they're very fixated on the cake incident. And you mentioned earlier how it's probably one of the ones which is the policing, there's a rule break there, but it's less egregious than some of the ones about, you know, late night boozing and things. So you have uh, Tory MPs, supporters of Boris Johnson saying it's ridiculous he's being fined over a cake. But that does make it a bit trickier if he gets fines over different events, yes? Yeah, absolutely. As I said, I I think that this is a case where it is easier to dissemble than on other parties. And, you know, we don't know what the police's conclusions are going to be on other events. We'll just just have to wait and see. But, But I think that 
while Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak have been very careful to say that they apologise wholeheartedly and that they understand that people will be very angry, there have been others within the party who have maybe not done them any favours in terms of trying to to get everyone to move on. I'm thinking particularly of Michael Fabricant, who suggested that the cake was very similar to what nurses and teachers do at the end of the uh, end of a shift, and they go to the uh, break room and have a drink, which I I think has probably stirred up a lot of public servants <laughs> in a way that was unnecessary. I've had lots of teachers and nurses pointing out that they do not do this, that alcohol. Is, is in some cases banned on the premises where they work, <laughs> that the idea that they have booze in the stationary cupboard or the idea, indeed, that they have time to um to go and have a drink together, even at the end of their shifts, is quite risible and actually quite offensive. I, I'm not sure that that was necessarily the smartest way of trying to calm down a row that let's not forget has, to use a very modern term, has triggered a lot of people because it has reminded them of their darkest moments during the pandemic of not being able to say goodbye to people. Or in the case of those nurses and teachers, for, for the nurses, you know, having to hold the hand of someone who was not allowed to die with their family at their side, for instance, or teachers who were trying to do remote teaching and look after particularly vulnerable children in class and feeling as though they weren't doing anything particularly well because of the constraints placed on them. Why stir all those feelings up again? I'm, I'm not sure that was politically the, the smartest thing to do. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>